This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Tuesday, July 20th, 2021. On this day in 1924, martial law was declared in Tehran after the brutal murder of an American at the hands of an angry mob. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of this crime, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes depictions of violence that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today, we're covering the day martial law was declared in Tehran in response to Robert Imbri's murder. Let's go back to Iran on July 20th, 1924. The death of an American on Persian soil was a gift to Reza Khan. The brutal killing triggered an international crisis, granting Khan the right to declare martial law in the capital, Tehran. 46-year-old Khan was the commander of the Iranian Cossack Brigade, Iran's primary military force. He was also ambitious and believed the nation's leadership needed a secular change. With the new order, the city was placed completely under his control. It was his moment to grab the reins. But though Khan took advantage of the situation, we might never know how involved he was in the death that changed the nation's history. Two days before, on July 18th, the city was thrown into turmoil when 41-year-old Major Robert Whitney Imbri chose to go into central Tehran. The American vice consul was advised by several people not to venture into the area, but Imbri paid them no mind. Officially, he was on an assignment for the National Geographic Society to photograph a well that was said to hold mystical powers. According to legend, a man following the Baha'i faith, which taught respect for all creeds and races, drank from the well. After uttering the name of a Baha'i leader, he was immediately struck blind. When he made a donation in the name of the Muslim saints, his sight miraculously returned. For months, the well had been the site of anti-Baha'i protests and a symbol of Muslim superiority. Violence there was common, but Imbri wasn't easily spooked. He was a spy adventurer and a fierce anti-Bolshevik fighter. He refused to back down. He did, however, take some precautions before traveling to the well. He brought along a bodyguard with him, Melvin Seymour. Seymour was a former oilfield worker who wound up in jail for beating his foreman. Imbri believed Seymour would keep him safe if things turned deadly. Arriving at the well at 11 a.m., Imbri immediately felt the hostile stares of the locals. He hopped off the carriage anyway and started pointing his camera. Muslim demonstrators demanded he put it away, but according to some sources, Imbri kept on taking pictures, infuriating the already tense people. 
They were on edge because of a rumor that a Baha'i man had poisoned the well to get back at the Muslims. Imbri's behavior especially upset 17-year-old Saeed Hussein. Hussein was a mullah, a student of Muslim clergy and law. The boy pointed at Imbri and accused him of being the man who poisoned the well. People started to throw stones, shouting at the American to leave. Imbri refused, which terrified his bodyguard. Seymour was armed with only a nightstick, while the crowd surrounding them numbered in the hundreds. The people closed in, beating Imbri and his bodyguard with sticks. Seymour just managed to yank his client into the carriage and speed off. The move only infuriated the crowd more, and they pursued the carriage through the streets. The Americans got as far as the barracks of the Cossack Brigade. To their surprise, the Cossacks seized the carriage and dragged Imbri and Seymour into the street. The soldiers brutally beat the Americans along with the crowd from the well. Eventually, someone raised a saber and slammed it down on Robert's head, rendering him senseless. Ironically, the assault occurred right outside the Tehran police headquarters, but police made minimal efforts to save Imbri, as the Cossacks had intimidated them before. When the attack finally eased up, authorities rushed in to pull out the Americans. As physicians tried to save Imbri's life at the hospital inside the police headquarters, the mob returned for another attack. They broke into the station and continued the assault. Seymour appeared dead already, so they focused solely on Imbri. When the mob finally dispersed, Imbri had suffered 130 wounds, including the slice to his scalp. Each attack was non-fatal on its own, but together they were too much to take. At 3 p.m., Robert Imbri died from his wounds. His death shocked the United States and Iran, with both demanding an investigation into the cause of the riot. But as it turned out, the brutal killing set the stage for another man to seize power. Coming up, the consequences of Tehran's martial law. Hi, it's Vanessa from Parcast, and I'm here to tell you about my new 10-episode limited series, Obituaries. They're some of the most iconic figures of all time, celebrated in death for their individual achievements and impact on society. But in life, the relationships they kept tell a different story, one of unexpected connections that yielded extraordinary change. Every Wednesday on Obituaries, join my co-host Carter and me as we explore the shared legacies of prolific pairs from the past. From the mutual traumas of entertainers Marilyn Monroe and Ella Fitzgerald, to the unlikely admiration between visionaries Mark Twain and Nikola Tesla, each episode of Obituaries digs deep into the lasting impressions made between two legendary figures and how their entanglements changed the course of history. These meaningful duos may have passed on, but the profound effect they had on each other and us will live on forever. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Obituaries. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. On July 20th, 1924, Tehran authorities declared martial law after a mob killed an American consul, Major Robert Imbri. The decision was designed to give the city a chance to regain order before an international crisis tore the nation apart. Leading up to the death, Iran had been a hotbed of foreign interest. The British had tried and failed to establish a protectorate over the nation. Meanwhile, Russia had recently vacated its stakes after their defeat in World War I. The newest foreign party to take an interest was the United States, and they mainly wanted one thing – oil. They pressured the Iranian government into allowing oil tycoons to start drilling into the land. When Robert Imbri was killed at the hands of an angry mob, all the foreign actors in the country started pointing fingers at each other. Tehran newspapers and Russian authorities blamed the British for inciting Muslims into a frenzy. Others blamed the Russians, who had expelled Imbri from Moscow after he defended his anti-communist beliefs. Fellow American spy Marguerite Harrison, who recently departed the Near East while posing as a filmmaker, claimed international intrigue was to blame. But above all, according to Marguerite, Imbri was to blame for his own death. He had knowingly entered a dangerous situation. Marguerite also claimed Imbri made a serious error by fleeing the initial attack at the shrine. According to Iranian custom, running away proved he was guilty of sabotaging the site. If he had stayed, the people would have merely punished him, but not killed him. Regardless of who may have deserved the blame, there was one person who gained from Robert Imbri's death. Reza Khan, commander of the Cossack forces. On July 20th, Khan gained control over the massive city, declaring he would arrest those responsible for killing Imbri. While one part of the Cossacks investigated, another arm reached in a more opportunistic direction. They shut down the presses, instituting a news blackout. Khan then arrested his political rivals, throwing the Muslim-backed leaders who had defied him in jail. The United States fully backed Khan. However, political unrest and fear led American oil companies to pull out of their contracts. They didn't return for another decade. Khan's new leadership did eventually reward the U.S. for its support, however. They handed out 20 guilty verdicts and three death sentences for Imbri's murder. The first to be executed was 19-year-old Mortaza, a Cossack private. Then there was 14-year-old Ali Reshdi, a camel driver, and 17-year-old Saeed Hussein. Hussein was the mullah teenager who spread the rumor that Imbri was responsible for poisoning the holy well. With American representatives watching, soldiers shot the two boys. With the Americans satisfied and pulling their interests out of Tehran, Khan lifted the martial law order. With no one left to stand in his way, he launched a campaign to unite the country under his rule. 
The Cossack Brigade became a true military force, thanks to backing and financial support from their Western friends. Khan then wrangled support from smaller factions. He paid respect to Muslim leaders outside of the country and demanded recognition from domestic leaders. When he returned to Tehran, Khan was celebrated as a unifying force. He exiled the previous Shah, the King of Persia, and launched a new royal dynasty. Now calling himself Reza Shah Pahlavi, he molded the country in his image. He shunned the Muslim clergy's influences and encouraged Western fashion. His son, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, ruled the nation after him until the 1979 revolution ended their dynasty. It's difficult to fathom that all those changes stemmed from the death of a single man. The consequences of Major Robert Imbri's trip to Tehran can be felt in the region to this day. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Paul Liebeskin, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Daniel William Gonzalez, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi, it's Vanessa from Parcast. If you enjoy our in-depth profiles on historical figures and famous fates, you'll love my new limited series, Obituaries. Every Wednesday on Spotify, join me and my co-host Carter as we explore the unlikely bonds forged between two meaningful figures from the past and discover how those relationships impacted the future. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Obituaries. Listen weekly, free and only on Spotify.